Former U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo is on day three of his four-day visit to Taiwan. During a speech in Taipei, Pompeo said had a strong message for the Biden administration. He said Washington should change its 50-year policy of ambiguity on Taiwan by immediately recognizing Taiwan as a free and sovereign country. It is my view that the United States government should immediately take necessary and long overdue steps to do the right and obvious thing that is to offer the Republic of China Taiwan America's diplomatic recognition as a free and sovereign country. This isn't about Taiwan's future independence, for goodness sake. It's about recognition of an unmistakable already existing reality. It's the reality. During a speech in Taipei on Friday, former U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo called on the U.S. administration to end its 50-year policy of ambiguity on the issue of Taiwan's sovereignty. In recent days, the Russia-Ukraine war has brought renewed global attention to the Taiwan Strait. Speaking on Friday, Pompeo said that there were indeed similarities between Ukraine and Taiwan. He criticized China for its aggression, but said that Taiwan must show its resolve to defend itself. It, it depends on how we respond and behave. It depends on the work that we do. It depends on uh, our willingness to listen to uh, Taiwanese leadership who tells us we need certain equipment. The willingness of the Western world to demonstrate that the costs for Xi Jinping engaging in that kind of activity are just too high. During a Q&A session after the speech, he was asked if his visit was in preparation for the 2024 U.S. presidential election. Pompeo deflected the question, saying he was visiting to pay his respects to the democracy and freedom-loving people of Taiwan. I wanted to come here because uh, the, the people of Taiwan are so deeply wonderful and loving of the central ideas that we have in the American founding as well. And I wanted to come here to say thank you to the people of Taiwan. Uh, they were such good friends and partners of the United States. Pompeo also confirmed that he had lost weight, but he said that would not stop him from enjoying Taiwanese food during his trip. Some of you have been asked, I look a little bit thinner than when you've seen me on TV. Don't think for a second that's going to stop me from enjoying all the great Taiwanese food. I've been recommended the uh, noodle soup and the pineapple cakes. Last year, your ambassador uh, in the U.S. dropped off some dried pineapple from here, from Taiwan. It was a big hit at the Pompeo house. From Taiwan's sovereignty and its food to the war in Ukraine, Pompeo spoke on a broad range of issues in his Taipei appearance. Meanwhile, Chinese naval vessels were detected near the waters of Orchid Island for three consecutive days this week. On Monday, China sailed three ships past Orchid Island. They were followed by a single ship the next day and three more the day after that. The maneuvers marked the Chinese Navy's closest approach to Taiwan's territorial waters in recent years. Speaking to local media, Taiwan's defense ministry said it was closely monitoring all Chinese movements near the island and that it would take appropriate measures for all contingencies. Against the backdrop of the Russia-Ukraine war, the U.S. Navy destroyer USS Ralph Johnson sailed through the Taiwan Strait last Saturday. Two days later, China launched maneuvers in waters near Orchid Island. Over three consecutive days, a total of seven PLA vessels were detected transiting the area. Taiwan's defense ministry said it was actively monitoring all movements by the PLA. The sea and airspace around Taiwan and Penghu are constantly under the surveillance of our military. I can't say that we will report on every movement, as that would create unnecessary turmoil. 
The defense ministry is under pressure, but we will handle it. I hope that people will understand this point. We will not hide incidents and fail to report them, but we will report them appropriately. Besides monitoring China's military, the Defense Ministry is also working to ramp up missile production. Lawmakers recently passed a defense special budget for weapons including long-range Xiongshen cruise missiles. The Xiongshen is an upgraded version of the Xiongfeng 2E surface-to-surface cruise missile system. The new missile has an estimated range of 1,000 to 1,200 kilometers, putting Wuhan, Nanjing and other inland Chinese cities within reach. Taiwan expects to produce up to 100 of the new missiles annually in the future. We are looking at the defense of Taiwan and Penghu in our development of weapons and equipment. As long as we feel a weapon or piece of equipment would benefit our defense capabilities around Taiwan and Penghu, then we will do our best to develop or procure it. The ministry expects to ramp up production of long-range Xiongshen cruise missiles, Skybow 3 surface-to-air missiles, Xiongfeng 3 supersonic anti-ship missiles and other weapon systems. It said the missile systems will strengthen Taiwan's asymmetrical warfare capabilities. A government donation drive has raised nearly 200 million NT for Ukrainian refugees over the last two days. The Ministry of Foreign Affairs created a donation account at 2 p.m. Wednesday. As of 4 p.m. on Friday, the account had received nearly 178.8 million NT from donors in Taiwan. One Ukrainian expat said she was deeply touched by those coming to her country's aid. Let's hear what she had to say. As we face this most challenging time, I know that the Taiwanese people are all helping us. I want to thank Taiwan's government, Taiwan's president, and all of you, the Taiwanese people. I truly thank you all. We really do need your help. At Taipei City Hall, officials have put up a Lenin wall in the colors of Ukraine's flag. The wall is decorated with handwritten messages, many of which declare that Taiwan stands with Ukraine. A couple in Taishan District, New Taipei, made headlines recently for a very unusual workplace accident. They were warming up their lunch in the microwave and the glass lunch bro- lunchbox broke in two. As longtime regular microwave users, they were baffled. We spoke to a physics teacher to find out what would cause a glass container to behave so strangely and what you can do to prevent it. Many people with busy schedules bring packed lunches into work in glass containers. They're easy to heat up in a microwave. But at one factory in New Taipei, one couple were horrified to see their lunchbox crack in two. When I reached in to take the box out, only half of it came out with all the rice in it. We thought it was really dangerous. Thankfully, nothing happened while it was in the microwave, but we didn't dare eat the food. We were afraid there might be shards of glass in the rice. If you take a good look at the broken box, you can see how clean the split is. The couple made do with the food they packed in a different box that day, and the next day, still rattled, they ordered a takeaway. They had no idea why the box had suddenly broken after having microwaved it exactly the same way many times before. The way I put it in the microwave was just like I normally did. I just microwave it for a few minutes. We heat the vegetables separately, so they were fine. It was just the rice that broke. 
It might be that beforehand the box got knocked somewhere, causing it to have some small cracks in the glass. So when they heated it in the microwave, because the rice inside got hot, all the glass was still cold, there was a heat differential between the rice and glass, causing them to expand unevenly and finally making the glass split open at the spot where the cracks were. For physics teacher Mr. Lee, the glass cracking is easy to explain. University aptitude tests have featured questions on the exact same phenomenon. The question was, there's a glass, you fill it with very hot water and it splits apart. What is the principle behind it? The principle is the difference in temperature between the inside and outside, causing this uneven expansion of the inside and outside. Mr. Lee suggests that before using any glass or ceramic container, you should first check the temperature range it is made to handle. And before you put it in the microwave, check to see there are no cracks. Even the smallest crack should stop you from putting it in the machine. Don't put piping hot food straight into a container or wash utensils roughly. All of those high-risk activities could make your box the next to break in half. Taiwan is choking under a thick layer of smog that moved in this week from China. On Friday, the air quality was poor and visibility low all across the west coast. Even Yushan, Taiwan's tallest mountain, was partly obscured by a gray haze. Authorities say the smog should start to lift after Saturday, when strengthening winds will improve the dispersal of pollutants. Until then, people with allergies or other respiratory conditions are advised to avoid going outdoors unless necessary. From the mountains in the distance to the low-rise buildings closer by, it's all hard to make out under the veil of haze. In Taichung City, air quality reached harmful levels early Friday morning. A little farther south is Jiayi City, which was also wrapped in haze. In nearby Tainan, pollution blocked visibility as well. A wave of air pollution has moved in from China, and weak wind speeds have led to poor dispersal. On Friday, orange alerts flashed across most parts of the west coast, indicating unhealthy air for sensitive groups. Some regions hit red, signaling that the air was unhealthy for the general public. Northern Taiwan was not spared the smog. Its tallest landmark, Taipei 101, was covered in a layer of fine dust. Xinkeng Life Tower was nearly completely obscured. On March 1st, we were able to project that a wave of air pollution would sweep in and affect Taiwan over these few days. The impact of this wave began on March 2nd and has continued to this day. It is the first such wave of the year, the most obvious one, and it will last a relatively long period of time. These are photos of Yushan taken from the same vantage. In the image dated March 3rd, visibility is noticeably worse. On social media, the head of the Central Weather Bureau wrote that not even Yushan is immune to the smog. This has to do with the altitude that the air currents reach. It's not necessarily the case that these external pollution sources only affect low-lying areas. Sometimes the smog is pushed to higher altitudes. No significant improvement is expected until after Saturday, when northeasterly winds will pick up and help disperse the pollutants. Welcome back to our show. Thai Power has admitted to human error as the cause of a national blackout on Thursday. According to the state-run utility, the cause was negligence during the operation of electrical switchgear at Kaohsiung's Xingda power plant. On Friday, President Tsai Ing-wen visited the power plant, where she made a public apology to the people of Taiwan.
following yesterday's outage and the inconveniences this caused everyone, I would like to apologize, especially to those in the South who experienced the longest outages. Premier Su Jen Chung has already instructed the Economics Ministry to complete an investigation report within three days. We must expedite our error assessment process and move faster toward our goal of creating a more resilient, decentralized power grid. We need to evaluate the design of the grid and make necessary changes and adjustments. President Tsai Ing-wen said that Thai Power's role was crucial in maintaining the country's power supply. Any lapse or accident at Thai Power can have a national impact. She said, emphasizing that Thai Power must be resolved long-standing issues with its infrastructure and electricity transmission. In the aftermath of the power outage, the mayor of Kaohsiung railed against Thai Power on Friday. Kaohsiung was among the last in the country to get its electricity back. Mayor Chen Chi Mai blasted Thai Power for making, quote, an elementary mistake that should never have happened. Local prosecutors plan to investigate the incident to determine if Thai Power is legally culpable. A general goods store is shrouded in darkness. Patrons light their way with their cell phones and continue their shopping. People crowded into the small store, most of them looking to buy flashlights and batteries. With no electricity, the cash register isn't working, so the owner switches to paper invoices. At this seafood restaurant, it's also business as usual. The owner sticks candles in glass bottles, which are placed on the tables to allow a candlelit dinner under the stars. During Thursday's power outage, the South was hit the worst in terms of households affected and duration. Tainan, Jiayi County, and Kaohsiung were without electricity until 9 p.m. In Pingdong County, the lights were out until 12.40 a.m. on Friday, for a blackout lasting nearly 16 hours. This elementary error on the part of Thai Power really shouldn't have happened. Southern Taiwan has long supplied electricity to the north. That's created a situation in which areas that generate more power were the last to see their power restored. According to Thai Power, the outage was caused by human negligence. On Friday, Kaohsiung's mayor publicly censured the mistake. The city's Chiaotou District Prosecutor's Office is investigating the incident to determine if Thai Power is legally culpable. We are looking into the causes behind the incident. We will look at the relevant equipment as well as the human operations. Our intention is to better understand whether there are any legal implications. Kaohsiung's Xinda power plant has been home to several incidents that caused blackouts. Every time, the South was the worst hit, prompting waves of complaints and criticism. The CECC reported two local cases of COVID on Friday, including one with an unknown source of infection. This was an employee of a Kaohsiung eatery who tested herself for COVID on March 3rd after developing symptoms. She reportedly visited Pingdong, Taidong and Hualien over the 228 Peace Memorial Day long weekend. So far, authorities have identified 21 close contacts who are now undergoing testing. Also on Friday, the CECC reclassified three recent imported cases as local infections.
的台北这边某一个防疫旅馆。We have determined that these three imported cases are local infections. All of them were infected at a quarantine hotel in Taipei. They were guests on the same floor. Based on the findings of our epidemic investigations and genetic sequencing, we are reclassifying these cases as local infections. A total of four cases were found on that same floor. They checked in at different times and developed symptoms at different times. We later noticed that these cases had come out of the same quarantine hotel and had lived on the same floor, and that they'd had rooms near each other. That's why an investigation was launched. Following an epidemic investigation, a probe of the environment, and genetic testing, we saw that the four cases involved the same genetic sequence of Omicron, the BA2 variant. This hotel's response has been to test and transfer all the guests on that floor. The entire floor has been emptied out and disinfected. Since last December, quarantine hotels have been the site of 15 COVID clusters. Involving 25 local cases, 23 of those local cases were originally classified as imported. When you think of the Ta Ta Taiwan Tower International Airport, what image comes to mind? Maybe a glittering rooftop beside a vast blue sky? Well, for one team that keeps the airport running, the image is the exact opposite. The electric crews keep the airport powered working on cables in the deep basement. And that underground toil has earned a nickname worthy of their vital work. Wearing protective tabards, the team crouched down to traverse the tunnel. These are the foundations of Taoyuan Airport, and this is the electrical maintenance crew, aka the Taoyuan Ninja Turtles. This is like a person's veins. These cables transmit electricity and power to keep the whole airport running. So we have to test them every week to ensure the airport's electricity is working normally. To supply power and ensure there are no safety issues, all the circuits are double circuits. If there's a problem with any of them, we switch the circuit as fast as possible to keep supplying that area with power. The Ninja Turtles don green gloves to test the performance and temperature of the cables. These weekly checks seem simple, but they're a high risk for the tester. Even the air down here might be a hazard. Taoyuan's airport has a total floor area of almost 1,200 hectares. The underground tunnels stretch 6 kilometers, while the cables on these shelves spool out to more than 320 kilometers. They power the whole airport, including Terminals 1 and 2, the control tower, cargo warehouses, and freight plane tarmacs. The most difficult thing is a damaged connection. We would have to coordinate across all departments to shut off the power and dispatch, firstly turning off all the power sources under that circuit and then replacing that connection. We have to do periodic maintenance and management of all the cables underground. The airport cannot have a power cut, so we have to maintain that 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, on a constant supply model. Taoyuan is Taiwan's gate to the world, with flights coming in and heading out all day every day. That takes a giant team. These ninja turtles working inside the earth keep the all-important current flowing.
Celebrated harpist Lee Jae-ing recently completed the 300th stop on an ongoing tour of rural schools. The harp virtuoso is passionate about music education. He visits elementary schools in rural areas, giving kids access to his unusual instrument. We join him on a trip to Hualien to enjoy the ethereal sounds of the harp and see how the show went down with that tough grade school crowd. An enchanting melody fills the room. The class of boisterous children sits enraptured by the traveling musician in their midst. Then it's their turn to play the panpipes to thank him. Lee Jae-in came all the way to Hualien to show the kids his harp, demonstrate its amazing potential, and explain where it comes from. His father Li Unan was Taiwan's first harp advocate and maker. His older brother Li Jie founded One Song Orchestra. The younger brother began his rural harp education tours in 2014. Lugging his 40-kilogram harp in tow, he visits rural elementary schools to offer free concerts, giving children perhaps their first chance to hear the exotic instrument. This is his 300th performance. In Hualien, the harp is not something that children have easy access to. Our guest teacher, Zheying, gave a very engaging and fun introduction, and the children were all fascinated. They were giggling throughout his talk, and the harp left a big impression. Because of a lack of educational resources, many rural children will hardly ever go to hear a full concert in a concert hall, never mind see an unusual instrument like a harp. So I decided to bring my harp to children in the countryside and play for them. The 90-minute performance inspired children with a new sense of the wide world. Who says you need a fancy suit or a grand hall to hold a concert? A little passion and a curious listener is more than enough.